Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Area 941 Radio Walensky Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky, and we're talking about books, about theater, about film, about television, and from time to time, even about KPFA, Pacifica Radio. This interview with Octavia Butler airs in its entirety on Artswaves on KPFA on May 29, 2017. Octavia Butler, who died in 2006 at the age of 58, was one of the giants of modern science fiction. Winner of multiple awards for her short fiction and novels, her work explored issues involving gender, race, and power, and featured protagonists often at odds with their societies. At the time she began writing, there were no other African-American women writing in the field. But she was not merely a pioneer. She was a master of the genre. Her first novel, Pattern Master, was published in 1976 and was followed by a series of sequels. Along with these books, she wrote a standalone novel, Kindred, in 1979, and it's a masterpiece. It's a time travel story of a modern African-American woman suddenly finding herself in the racist antebellum South. By 1983, with her handful of novels and a growing reputation within the field, she made a visit to a science fiction convention in San Jose, California, where she met up with me and my then-co-host, Richard A. Lupoff. At that time, she had yet to win her first Hugo or Nebula Award and was still unknown outside science fiction. We met her in her hotel room, where she was nursing a cold, but very happy to speak about her career and its origins. The interview you're about to hear was the first of two we recorded with Octavia Butler. You're the only black woman science fiction writer around. Did that put you off when you first came to a convention and found this out, or did you know it? Did you know it beforehand? I didn't know. As a matter of fact, I didn't go to conventions. I was never a fan, really. When I went to Clarion, I remember Harlan reassuring me. He told me about Clarion. In fact, he was a teacher of mine in some classes I was taking. I remember asking if there were any black people there, and he mentioned Samuel R. Delaney, who turned out to be the only one. And then I started to realize that. Well, okay. And um, while at Clarion, I went to my first convention, Blanche, and there was one black man wandering around. I remember going up to him and saying, are you a writer? And he said, no. And he asked me if I was a writer. And I said, you know, not yet, not quite. And we wandered off in search of people who were really writers. And that was that. I mean, it never stopped me or, or made me think that, gee, maybe I should go and do something else. Since you, you were never a fan, the classic fashion of, you know, turning a mimeograph crank and so on, and gosh, I want to be just like them when I grow up, and eventually you do it. I never wanted to be just like anybody. <laughs> okay, well, the question is, what interested you in science fiction? Uh, what reading did you do, um, what authors and, and works, or what other influences were involved in getting you into this business? Okay, the story that I've told over and over, it actually happened this way. I had been reading a little bit of science fiction off and on, Heinlein juveniles, Winston juveniles, that sort of thing. 
and really waiting desperately to get out of the Peter Pan room at the library. You had to be 14. <laughs> I mean, you die in there. And I was writing horse stories then, I remember, and I had read the, whole, the library's whole tiny collection of girl and her horse stories. And I was sitting on the couch one day uh, writing a horse story and watching television, and on television came Devil Girl from Mars. And I sat and watched for a while. It was one of those oldies that have, the, you know, the Martian woman comes to get some Earth men because all the Martian men have died off for some reason. And I said the classic thing, I can write a better story than that, and turned it off. And what I started working on right then and there is what later became one of the Patternist stories, Pattern Master. Those were originally stories that were later collected into this? Not exactly. They were stories that I told myself over and over, but each time I told them, I changed them. And, um, you know, I wrote them down. And when I wrote them, they were part of a never-ending novel. All these episodes that just went on and on until I got sick of it and put it aside and started what later became Mind of My Mind. I never finished anything at that age. How did you first assemble your first manuscript? Uh, what was the first thing you were published? Um, oh, you want to know? Oh, okay. Because I, I was sending things out at 13, but if anyone had published them, we could assume that they had lost their mind. The first thing I had published was a short story in a college magazine. I had a teacher who was this nice little Mormon lady who was about on the verge of retirement and who kept reading my weird science fiction stories and saying, can't you do anything normal? Finally, just to prove that I could, wrote a story that was normal. I hated it while I was writing it. And she assumed it was autobiographical. It was it was really grim and terrible and, and, and degenerate life in the city, you know. And she loved it. It was published in the college magazine. <laughs> Her husband, who was also a teacher, read it on his little morning class on the television, educational thing, you know. I'm glad it's dead. <laughs> Your first published in a professional manner okay. was? That was the story that's in Clarion. I can't think of the title right now. I can remember the second. Um, Harlan bought it. It was called Childfinder. It was a story of this pair of telepaths warring with each other because they could see each other's hatreds and each other's intentions too clearly. But the first one was just an, a, a, sort of an imagining. It was during one of my crazy times, when I went to Clarion, I assumed that, of course, everyone else there was a finished writer, and I was the idiot. So I stayed in my room a lot and slept a lot and made friends with another person who had the same feelings and eventually started reading some of the things that were being turned in and realized that I didn't have that much of a problem. <laughs> And really, this story came out of that time when I was feeling that low. It was also a grim, horrible little story, but I liked it. And your first novel that you had published was? That was Pattern Master, another often told story. I did a lot of sort of odd jobs, factory work, um, washing dishes. Matter of fact, I washed pots for Sears for only one day. By then, I didn't have very much skin left on my hands, so I didn't think I should go back to that warehouse work, anything I could get my hands on. I got laid off. Oh, I was um, doing telephone solicitation, and they laid me off two weeks before Christmas. And I realized I was eligible for unemployment compensation, and 
Mr. Ford had just then extended it to one year, and I wrote three novels. <laughs> Did you have any particular problems in marketing them? I noticed all of your books have been published by Doubleday so far. I didn't really. I sent Pattern Master off to Doubleday almost, well, I, I sent it off to Doubleday immediately because I knew they were willing to take chances on people they'd never heard of, you know. And I sent Mind of My Mind off just about a month later. I thought it was too soon. I, I didn't finish it that quickly. It's just that, you know, I spent some more time with Pattern Master going back to it. I sent it off, I think, to Harper and Rowe. And they kept it for quite a while and then sent it back with a rejection letter. And by then, Doubleday had accepted Pattern Master. And I just sent Mind of My Mind off to them. And they accepted that. And no problem, really. Who was your editor at Doubleday? Uh, Sharon Jarvis at first, and now it's Pat Labruto. How has that relationship worked out? I'm, I'm very interested in the way these professional relationships between authors and editors, agents, etc., work out. With Sharon, it was okay. With Pat, as a matter of fact, I, I kind of like having him as an editor right now because it, he's somebody, you know, you can call him up and, mm -hmm. and say, you know, this is wrong or that's wrong, and he'll look into it. So, no real problem with him, no. What was the third novel of those three that you wrote? Was that Wild Seed? Survivor. <laughs> I wrote Survivor when I was 19. All three of these were stories that I used to tell myself while I was growing up. And when I was 19, I wrote something that was either a novelette or a skeletal novel. I understand that most writers write long and then have to cut. I write short and then have to add and be careful not to pad. Survivor was about 75 pages in the first version. I showed it to some people and they had no idea what it was. Nobody I knew then was into science fiction at all, so nobody had any idea what I was doing. Where were you living? Uh, in Pasadena. I was born there. But my friends were just interested in other things, you know. I was the weird one. <laughs> I, I hear that's a common experience of science fiction writers, to be the strange person. Oh yeah, I, I modified it a little bit a few years later, and then when I was thinking of doing Kindred, I rewrote it once more and sent it off quickly, too quickly. I mean, it's it's a good story, badly told. That's the problem with it. And got the, the uh, advance money and went to Maryland to research Kindred, because I had no money otherwise. Kindred was kind of one of those books that someone recommended to me, and out of nowhere, essentially, and... I picked it up and began reading it, and I was amazed. How did the genesis of the idea behind it come about? Um, I got the idea of a woman going back in time some time ago, and didn't really, I mean, a black woman going back to the antebellum South, and I didn't really want to work with it, because I knew that the kind of research I would have to do wouldn't be that pleasant. I didn't really want to research slavery. I didn't want to read a lot of slave narratives. Anyway, I wound up putting it off. As a matter of fact, I had the idea before I wrote Pattern Master and Survivor. But I put it off and put it off, and finally wound up trying to write it and really fouling up. For one thing, the main character in the beginning was a man, and it didn't work, because I realized that as soon as he went back, he would probably be killed. He would just seem too dangerous and too insane to be left alive, a black man who, my God. <laughs> and, and so um, I wound up, oh yeah, I, I also, I have a friend who is a good critic, 
and I remember showing her a little bit of it and having her say, you know, it's worthwhile, but you've got to do something with this. And finally deciding to go ahead, buckle down, do it, commit some money to it, which is, if I commit money to something, it's going to get done, even if it has to get done badly. So that was when I decided to go to Maryland and do the research. And what kind of research did you do there? Very little and very quickly, because I, I didn't have very much money even then. I went to um, the library, Enoch Pratt Free Library, and, and did some research on Maryland itself. And I went to the Historical Society and did some more reading. I went over to the Eastern Shore and wandered around a lot until my feet were just killing me. And I remember, I remember asking somebody if it was okay to walk on the highway, because I know here you can get arrested. And having them say, oh yes, it's people are always doing that here. And realizing that the Eastern Shore, I mean it is modern, there are a lot of things there that didn't used to be, but it really is the South. I wanted it to be, but I wasn't sure it still was. Did you find yourself being related to differently as a black woman? I mean, was that aspect of the South there? Sometimes people all of a sudden didn't have bathrooms or they were broken, that sort of thing. I mean, it's not legal anymore to say you can't, but if it's broken, it's broken. I've never had the problem here that I had uh -huh. there. You know? And I remember another incident I wanted to mentioned, but oh, um, a certain bus company, uh, the driver berating an old man for no discernible reason, just that he knew he could, and I remember being really upset about it and, and, and having everyone on the bus take it as a kind of an amusement. And those feelings translated into the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything that happened. As a matter of fact, the end of the book was written in a bus station on the eastern shore, sitting there. I had three hours before the bus came, and I was really tired that day, so I wasn't going to do any more wandering around. And I just sat there with my old notebook and wrote the end of the novel, and then didn't use it in the first version of the novel, and sent it off to an agent that I had heard really good things about, and she sent it back saying, I have no idea what I would do with this. And I rewrote it and put on the ending that I had done in the bus station. It worked beautifully. I wonder what is going on with Kindred these days. The reason I ask specifically is this. Many of the publishers, Doubleday unfortunately among them, have a way of dumping out such vast numbers of books that 99% of them appear on a Thursday, they're gone by Friday, and they're never heard of again. I hope that the book didn't disappear on Friday the way so many do it probably got more publicity than most books do at Doubleday. They did do um, an ad in the uh, New York Times book review, and there was an ad in Starship, as a matter of fact. Partly that was because they had included it in their science fiction ad, even though it wasn't science fiction, under the wrong title. And I wrote a letter to my agent and to my editor saying, what's going on? And I think because they were... Um, you know, embarrassed, they gave me a nice little ad in, in Starship that was more than, you know, a Doubleday book would normally get. So it did get some attention, and it made a nice sale to Pocket. I, I really wish that Pocket had paid more attention to it. Mm -hmm. I, I kept trying to, you know, tell the editor that, you know, to you, you really could do something with this if you, you know, and suggesting things, but 
I think she had lost interest or whatever. I don't know what had gone on. Yeah, I was telling somebody today that I had just tried to read not a current bestseller, but an earlier bestseller, and it was unreadable. It, I mean, you couldn't get beyond the first few pages, and I was feeling very smug about being a better writer than that, and then I started realizing how much money he was <laughs> Wild Seed you wrote after Kindred? As a matter of fact, I wrote Wild Seed sort of as an antidote to Kindred, because Kindred was depressing, and, and the research was just as I had thought. It, it was depressing, and it made me sort of bitter and hostile. So I thought, you know, I, I had the idea for Wild Seed, and I thought I would just go ahead and write it. Then I'd been reading some books by Chinua Achebe, an Igbo writer, and... I was already interested in the culture, so I found some books at the library and discovered that the Igbo people were not one people, but generally were divided into five language, um, not languages, but divisions of, of their own language, and discovered that some of the books I was reading didn't distinguish and treated them as though they were one people, and didn't apparently didn't even realize that there were a lot of different spellings, so that I could, you know, do research and find that I couldn't use the research because the researcher hadn't been that careful. But still, it was, I think, probably the most fun that I've had writing. Did you mention that you had gone to Africa to research this? Or? No, no, no. no. This, is, this is the person who doesn't have any money. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would have been nice. I have um, a friend from Ghana who keeps saying, you should go, you should go. Has any of your uh, books... Uh, has that book or any other books of yours uh, gotten published over there at all, or has anybody not made that any? I, know of. Not, I mean, there may be something I don't know about, but not that I know of. Do you have any more books in that series that you want to do? I'm working on Clay's Ark right now. It's a story that takes place between Mind of My Mind and Survivor. It's the story of the Clay Ark people. You you would meet them in Pattern Master in particular. But you'd hear a lot about them in Survivor. They are diseased mutants who are eventually the inheritors. They're, they're the only non-telepathic people left on Earth who are not slaves, eventually. Uh, now, all the books except Kindred are part of the same series. Uh, mm -hmm. Do they have to be read in any order? Do you need any of them? Can you just go and no. jump in? You can read them all independently. You can read, you know, one and not, not any of the others, and you won't miss anything, really, because they all stand alone. I've fallen into the pro into the into the middle of a trilogy or four oh, volume no. set without <laughs> knowing it and it's no, it's, I, it's I a bad that, feeling i hate that sort of thing myself as a matter of fact when analogger or one of the magazines is running a serial i won't even start to read it until i have all of it so i i know what you mean and i wouldn't want to write anything that way Clay's Ark, is that the completion of the series, or is this open-ended oh, no. and going to go on? No, it's a sort of a three-pronged series. There are stories that concern Doro, the immortal, whose eugenics create the patternists. So, I mean, I have three stories, uh, two stories now that uh, include Doro. There are the survivor-type books about the people who got away. And then there are the patternist novels about the people who stayed and, and were changed. Do you see yourself writing other books out of this series in the future, as Kindred is not? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, right now I have a book called Blindsight. That's one long word. About a, um, a psychic who is born blind and born to a very um, strict religious mother. Not a fanatic, but an ignorant, frightened woman, really. 
who wants to do right but doesn't really know how, and who considers her son's talents possibly sinful, and who winds up marrying a fundamentalist minister who knows they're sinful. <laughs> and it has to be rewritten, but it's not part of the Patternist series at all, even though it, it does include the psychic element. It sounds as if when you write something, you seem to feel the need to keep rewriting it over and over until it's perfect, like Survivor. And the three novels that I started with, Survivor, Mind of My Mind, and Pattern Master, yeah, were, like I said, they had been boiling around in my head for about, oh, since I was about 12 years old. So, naturally, sooner or later, they were going to get down on paper. This one, I wanted to prove something that isn't all that admirable and that I won't go into now, but... <laughs> I, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> anyway, I still want to prove it. <laughs> Has anybody read Kindred and said anything to you about movie? movie? It was optioned once. The option was not picked up. From what I heard, the, the group, or I guess, yeah, a group who um, had optioned it thought that it was, because it's a time travel story, that it was too close to something that had just been done. At that time, the Lindsay Wagner time travel uh, something about her going back and, and, and taking her grandmother's place. Oh, right. Oh, yes. yes. I didn't oh, see it, so I You were fortunate. It's, oh. it's sort of a ripoff of a novel called The Mirror oh. by uh, an author named Marlis Milheiser, although the, the Lindsay Wagner one is not quite that story. I'm curious as to your reading in science fiction, either as a child or now, uh, or if you do read other, other science fiction writers. Yes, I do. Um... When I, at, at that stage, like I said, I had read some Winston Juveniles and some Heinlein. Mm -hmm. I remember a, a Heinlein that if, if I could have been stopped from reading science fiction, it would have stopped me. There was a character named Uncle Alfred. And, uh, <laughs> um, it was the one about the twins, you know, one stays and one goes. Oh, yes, so yes. I was running around giving people copies of Zena Henderson's Pilgrimage when I was about 14, which is the perfect age to read Pilgrimage, if yes. you're going to. When Dune came out, I read it several times, as a matter of fact. I read just about everything I could get my hands on. As soon as I got out of the Peter Pan room mm -hmm. into the, you know, where they had the adult science fiction, I'd take home Groff Conklin anthologies and read through them. And let's see, I can remember reading a lot of Eric Frank Russell, whatever I could find, really. I don't enjoy reading people as much as individual works. I got a lot of pleasure out of Songmaster. Let's see, what else recently? I don't read as much science fiction as I used to. I mean, I used to just take home an armload of books, you know, every week or so and read them. And now I, I find that I'm reading more nonfiction than fiction because I have to do the research or just because there's something that I'm curious about and, and want to find out more about. I can't really give you authors or anything. I don't know, if, if you have time, um, something about um, writing in general. You recall my saying I never finished anything. When I got laid off that time, I forced myself to sit down and, and try to write a novel, and naturally it didn't work. It never had before. But that was when I realized that there was no way I could write a novel. No way at all. I mean, it was just too big. But I could write 20 pages. I could write a chapter. And that was the only thing that got me through. When, when I realized, you know, from Pattern Master that I could do that, from then on, it was pretty smooth. Do you uh, write outlines beforehand, or do you just write flat out? Depends on the novel. The one that I'm writing now, Clay's Ark, 
I started without an outline, and I have a friend who has multiple myeloma and is pretty much housebound, and I started taking a chapter to her every week, and she became like the school teacher that I have to hand in my homework to. And it's gotten me through this book faster than I've gotten through anything since Pattern Master. And I, I did eventually write an outline, but by then I was halfway through the book. On the other hand, blindside, I wish I had written an outline. I wouldn't have to write the book over. You've been listening to a 1983 interview with the late science fiction and fantasy author Octavia Butler, who died at the age of 58 in 2006. Her final book in the Patternist series, Clay's Ark, was published in 1984. There were five novels to come in her Exogenesis series, two in her Parable series, and a final standalone novel, Fledgling, which was published in 2005. Richard Lupoff and I had another chance to interview Octavia Butler in 1999 on the publication of Parable of the Talents, and that interview will air in the coming year. To listen to more of these interviews, go to my website, bookwaves.com, or find the Bookwaves and Arts Waves podcasts at kpfa.org. Or you can subscribe to both podcasts via iTunes. Until next time, I'm Richard Walensky on the Area 941 Radio Walensky podcast. <laughs>